0: Tonight we are starting a new chapter in the book of Isaiah, the 47th chapter, and in that 47th chapter, uh, what we're looking at is the defeat and humiliation of Babylon. that has been prophesied throughout the Bible in Isaiah and especially Jeremiah and in the book of Revelations. Uh, chapter 47 says, Come sit down, come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. Uh, there is no throne, O daughter of, Ca- of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstone and grind meal. Uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, they, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, for the Holy One of Israel. Sit thou silent and get thee into the darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. Uh, then he gives in chapter, verse 6 the reason why that, that he they were over his people. He says... I was wroth with my people, and I have polluted my inheritance and given them into thine hand. Thou didst show them no mercy upon the the old, in other words, the ancient, and hast thou very heavily laid thine yoke on them. And thou sayest, I shall be a lady forever, so that thou didst not lay these things to thine heart, neither didst thou remember the latter end of it. Therefore hear now this thou that art given to pleasures that dwellest carelessly that saith in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to thee in a moment in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thine sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness Thou hast said, None seeth thee. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge hath perverted thee, and thou hast said in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. Therefore it shall evil come upon thee. Thou shalt not know from which it riseth, and mischief shall fall upon thee. Thou shalt not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon thee suddenly, which thou shalt not know. Stand now with thine enchantments, and with the multitude of thine sorcerers, wherein thou hast labored from thine youth. If so be that thou beest able to profit, if so be thou mayest prevail. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thine counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a cold to warm at, no fire to sit before it. Thus shall they be unto thee with whom thou hast labored, even thine merchants from thine youth. They shall wander every one to his quarter. None shall save thee. Thus, the Lord here tells of the humiliation and the indictment that comes against the great Babylon. Babylon here is pictured as a woman and the defeat of Babylon. And it's the Babylonian system, and then it's the collapse of the worldwide system of Babylon that has been here ever since the Tower of Babylon in the in the beginning. Ancient Babylon is the model for the woman in the Book of Revelation seventeen and eighteen. And was ancient Babylon only a church? Was This Babylon that we're talking about, was it just a church or religious system? And I would say no. Ancient Babylon was both a city and a nation that manufactured and conducted business and made war. Uh, Did it have their own brand of religion? Of course they did. However, Babylon was four more. It was highly developed, complete, and an anti-God culture. Founded by Nimrod, so we see a city built there. We see a system, a Babylonian by Babylonian system, and this system was a cultural system that permeated all of society. In other words, in their politics, in their religion, in their everyday life. Babel, in that tower of Babylon where God came and scattered the people, was a system. And we see that system has been here. Satan is the author of that system. And that system has been here all of that time, even though it went through different phases. At one time it showed Nebuchadnezzar as the king of the head of that system. That's the pinnacle of Babylon when it shows of Nebuchadnezzar. Now the end time mystery, of Babylon the Great, will be the same complete package, but only to a far greater in terms of influence and power because they are now worldwide. In other words, not just a nation, but nations, a conglomerate of nations. Mm. In other words, a world ruling system. A lot of people like to talk about the UN and different nations uh, coming together as a conglomerate. But I think it's all of the world system, no matter where it is, there's none that stand it out. It says Satan deceiveth the whole world, that he go about and deceiveth the whole world. So ma- no matter what political spectrum you're in, or religious spectrum, there's either you fuck God, Christ or you against him. You with him or you're not. That's why we were talking about being clothed in his righteousness. Babylon is great, and most of us reading this article live in that end-time greatness of Babylon, but we see in Revelation God calling his people out of Babylon. He calls them out of Babylon. Now, the name mystery has an interesting aspect to it, because all through the ages, a lot of conservative and Protestant people uh, commentaries and people always say it's the Catholic Church. The woman is the Catholic Church. Did it demonize the Catholic Church? And if that's true, every commentator and all of the hundreds of years and the time the people have known this, it seems that if they know who she is, it's no longer a mystery, is it? But it is a mystery. And the only way that this mystery could be unrevealed or this mystery be revealed to us because it says the mystery of iniquity still work it, is that Christ reveal it to you. Mm -hmm. That the Father reveals the Son to us and the Son reveals the Father. And Paul said that he was blessed with the gospel and to reveal the mystery of godliness unto us. Mm -hmm. So we see it's not something that we can figure out. It's not something we can decipher or come to a knowledge of. It's something that we have to be shown. We, it has to be revealed to us. Now, this system, as I told you, was worldwide. And the Babylon mystery religion, Revelations 18, 11 to 13 reads, And the merchants of the earth will weep and grieve over grieve over her because no one buys their cargo, in other words, their goods and merchandise anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and merchandise and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all kinds of uh, scented wood and every article of ivory and every article of very costly and lavish wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spices and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat of cattle and sheep, and cargoes of horses and chariots, chariots and carriages, and of slaves and human lives. The merchant who gained wealth and perverse pleasures from the world system of religion and commerce and cry and lament because of it saturated their grief of materialism at the acquisition and their lust for self-pleasure. So, We see when this falling of the world system, in other words, this Babylonian system, since it's a material fall of everything within the world, when he says the foundations be destroyed, when he says this world is passing away at this end time, anybody that loved the world or the things of the world will not love this because all of us buy of the merchandise in the world. But we see those of Christ as using the world, but not abusing the world and not idolizing the things of the world. And that our righteousness and the righteousness of God coming up on the world has to judge the world and the deeds the world has done. In other words, all of the transgressions and what you've done to others because this is about the pride of Babylon, the pride of those in the world who have misused you, who have abused you, who have taken advantage of God's people. This is God repaying double unto those that whether man soweth, that shall he reap. So this is God paying back. All of those that had mistreated and abused his people. He's setting the record. He's setting the books correct now. All of these have drunk drunken of the wine of the wrath of the fornication of this great Babylon. In other words, their actions, their deeds. Here is that reckoning of that time of giving account for everyone that's not in Christ Jesus. As the Babylonian system incorporates every expression of corrupt government, so its prostitution includes every corrupt economic system and idolatry. Nothing is left out of this realm of judgment. We talked a couple of chapters ago about idolatry and those that worship idols and create idols that it's vanity and vexation of spirit. Now this ruin comes upon them, but it seems as though some of them looking and weeping for Babylon and the things that's going on like they are outside the perimeters of this, but no one is outside the perimeters of it. It's happening, but it's happening to the people also. That's why he says, Come out of her, my people, unless you take part in her plagues and the things that are about to come on them. That's why I was telling uh, one of our members the other day that what's coming up on the earth, our dear sister, is not faith It won't have to face some of that. And I gave Isaiah the 57th chapter about the good. Some of the righteous are taken out of the earth. Some of the righteous are taken away. And we're not taking note of that, but God is sparing them and shall let them sleep in peace in the time of death. But the battle rages on, and this is every man seeking and trying to save himself from the wrath that's coming upon the world, but also to be saved in the gospel and to spread God's righteousness, because some see hope in all of the chaos that's coming in, the calamity that's Coming up on the earth. Now, the modern descendants of Israel and the church have promoted and become part of this self serving, perverse world system. You remember, I told you when Cyrus sent the captives back from Babylon to build the temple of God, a great majority of them stayed in Babylon because they had got comfortable in Babylon. And they were loving the things of Babylon. In other words, they received the love of the world and the things of the world. So they didn't go back to build the temple of God. But also, along with those that didn't stay in Babylon, that went back to help build the temple of God. Somewhere along the way, some of them became complacent. It became like the five, the ten brides, the five wise and the five foolish. Some of them quit trimming their lamps. We see uh, talked about last week. Joshua standing before the high priest in filthy garments. Here it is Joshua now, the high priest standing before the angel, and Satan accusing him, and he's standing at his right hand accusing him, and he has on filthy garments. So. He's in no condition to serve God and serve God's people. So what God does says, take away his filthy garments and place these garments of right. In other words, place his righteousness upon me. And he says, if you would walk in my way, that you would be able to take charge of my house. It's predicated upon him walking in the statutes and commandments of God and doing right and being clothed in the garments of Christ's righteousness and doing the will of God. Yes. And that's what we have to begin to do is the will of God. And that helps cast the wickedness out of the earth because the earth itself is full of wickedness. And the, the devil, he's like I said, he's deceiving the whole world. The devil is at a point where he's deceiving all and his greatest deception is within religion. It's in religion where his deception is going on at. Sin inevitably brings its own punishment, and there are always consequences for disobedience, and there's been a many a disobedient child of God, and we will see, receive just recompense for those disobedience, but we'll be crying out to God for God to do something at that time, and his people will return to him in repentance. Let's read that 12th and 13th chapter again of the forty-seven verse. It says, Persist then, Babylon, in your enchantments and your many sorcerers with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps, then that word perhaps means maybe. In other words, it's symbolizing that this won't happen, that God will judge you. But it's given a chance that he could not, but we know it will. It says, perhaps you will be able to profit from them. Perhaps you may prevail and cause trembling. You are wearied by your many counsels. Just let the astrologers, the stargazers, those who predict by the new moons each month, stand up and save you from the things that will come upon you, O Babylon. In other words, he's turning them over to the idol and to the things that they worship or follow after you know, sometime back, the press have, have published these things about President Dwight Eisenhower uh, consulted astrologers during World War II about such things as the timing of the Normandy invasion on D-Day. And it's also were uh, reported about Nancy Reagan talking and consulting with John Dixon, uh, the famous astrologer during the time of Reagan's presidency and then advising her husband on such things. Now, it is done, if it's done in the White House, it is most assuredly done elsewhere in government. Here in the last election cycle, in the last presidency, we see where most of the evangelicals, 75 to 80 percent of the evangelicals, was behind uh, President Trump. I don't know how many of them knew of his raising and his coming up, but he was carried away with a book written years ago. I think he was six years old or so when that book was written, but he told his father, Fred uh, Trump, and he followed that book. He was so impressed by that book throughout his life that Norman Vincent Peale, the author of that book, The Power of Positive Thinking, became one of his He followed him, and that's who married him and his wife, Ivanka Trump, Ivana Trump. Uh, And uh, that's who spearheaded that uh, Trump's refusal to concede the election fits perfectly with the positive thinking philosophy he learned from Norman Vincent Peale. Acknowledging defeat would repudiate the core message of the power of positive thinking while dishonoring the legacy of Fred Trump and the famous author and preacher he and his son so admired. Uh, you see that among a lot of word of faith people about if they say something, if, if you say it, you could speak it in action and not thinking negative and always saying something positive. And by him saying this and believing this, and he thinks that would make this true. That would cause it to be true. If he think hard enough, I say it often enough, I actually believe in this. He can reverse these things. That's what a lot of churches are promoting. They don't realize that that's what it is. Uh, Ron Ron L. Hubbard had that in uh, the dynamics of something that was back in the years Ron L. Hubbard had. But, you know, there's a lot of religious philosophy of things going on in religion we know not what they're coming, where they're coming from, or whatever, but they're just cycling through, and they are uh, religious things that had been used before. Did you turn the heater off? Make sure it's off or whatever, because I'm getting pretty warm in here. It ha- I didn't hear it cut back on, but we have to be careful because Babylon has all these aspects to it. And one of the other aspects is Babylon as a spiritual entity. Um, As an enemy of God, Babylon is used in several ways in the Bible. One is that as a literal city, you remember the people were carried away to Babylon. Uh, The second way is a worldwide system of government, trade, entertainment, and so on. And the third symbol is a spiritual entity. And all three have to be considered together to understand Babylon and the Babylonian system. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, just like with Na- Nimrod, and just like at the Tower of Babylon, Babel, God ultimately destroys it. So that's a sign of a destruction of this world system. Of this world's way of life, the way of get, the way of pride, the way of high mindedness, the way of oppression, the way of no mercy. All of these aspects is of Babylon, in which we see where God conquered Babylon, and Babylon is in the sands of Iraq now, which shall never rise again. But the spiritual aspect of it. We see continuing on, and God himself destroys that spiritual aspect, and we help through walking in faith in him. Mm. We see where he says, uncover the thigh uh, across the river, and he reduces this woman to a position of humility, of grinding meal, like the average laborer, the average woman that says, take the millstone and grind meal, Uncover thine locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, and pass over the river. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yes, thy shame shall be seen. So he's stripping her of all of garments, all of the things that she thought was necessities for carrying out life and glorifying herself and living in pleasures. This is them receiving their due diligence, their due from God. And it's been prophesied against God, and that's one of the, the, the reasons we have uh, prophecy and we have all of this prof- future prophecy that was spoken about Babylon to give us something of hope, to give us you know, a, a, a something to hold on to and to see God's word coming to pass to be established, his word being established. Uh, Jeremiah 50, chapter 4 through 6. I don't know if I put it in your notes. I think I might have put it in your notes. Chapter 1, the the nucleus, what I want to talk about is 4 through 6 here. But I think I put it in your notes, Jeremiah chapter 50, 1 through 14 or 15. You need to read all of that so it won't seem as though I'm taking out of its context, so I need to kind of speak since everyone won't see the notes or be able to understand that if they would go back and read Jeremiah the 50th chapter, the 1st through the 15th verse. The word that the Lord spoke concerning Babylon and concerning the land of the Chaldeans to Jeremiah the prophet. Declare among the nations, lift up a signal to spread the news, publish and proclaim it, Do not conceal it. Say Babylon has been taken. Baal, the patron god, has been shamed. Marduk, Baal, has been shattered. Remember we talked about that in the 46th chapter about Baal stupid and uh, Baal, B-E-L, and then Marduk, stupid before God. It says Babylon's images have been shamed, her worthlessness, worthless idols have been thrown down, for out of the north, a nation, that is, media, the Persian army of Cyrus came and has come against her, for which will make her land desolate, and no one will live there. They have fled. They have gone away, both man and animal. And you remember, Cyrus was a type of Christ. He had Christ's righteousness. He was the anointed, the Messiah of God. He was God's anointed. He was the shepherd of God, and he came and destroyed Babylon to where it wouldn't be inhabited again. In those days and at that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel come, and they, the children of Judah, together, they will come up weeping in repentance as they come and seek the Lord their God, inquiring for of and of him, they will ask the way to Zion with their faces in that direction saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. So all of those that had been scattered and God's people have been scattered through the earth. And I've taught on it and we talk about it's God that scatters. Yeah. But he's calling a remnant back. He's calling up people from every nation the Assyrians, the Philistines, all nations should be saved in the Lord. So he's calling all nations back to their country or back to their places because his righteousness is being poured out on the earth and people are turning in repentance to him. When it says the children of Israel, he's talking about the church. He's talking about the collective body of all men, all people. There's no male, female, Jew or Gentile. And he's talking about salvation for all. His salvation is being shown in all of the earth. Verse 6 says, My people have become lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have made them turn aside to the seductive places of idolatry. On the mountains they have gone along from one sin to another, from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their own resting place. Uh, Jeremiah uh, begins it this two-chapter prolong about the prophecy of the judgment against and on Babylon. Uh, and Babylon during that time was the dominant world power during Jeremiah's time. That was some 60, 600 years before Christ. So that 600 years, if we would look at Luke, the 21st chapter and the 24th verse, It's the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. And that times of the Gentiles run a definite period. But after the times of the Gentiles, Christ comes in and judged the world. So it begins 600 years before he came. So that times of the Gentiles, I think we're coming toward that end now. We're right at the time of the great tribulation. Of the time of the day of the Lord. So clearly, these verses are placed in time, a time just ahead of us, or right here where we are, or what we're in. Is it possible that at least some of the judgments pronounced against Babylon and these two chapters also apply to our time? Yes, probably. It's a dual prophecy. In other words. We look at what was prophesized and what happened then to be able to judge and realize what's going on now. Remember, I told you about prophecy sometimes being dual. Could what occurred to Babylon when God carried out his stretch in the 6th century B.C. have been only a type of a far greater time fulfillment against modern-day Babylon? Yes, because the Old Testament is full of types and shadows, so we should see a similar thing happening at this time. And verse 6 plainly pictures an end time scenario, and as I continue to preach that we're living in the last days. Uh, God says that his people have turned away from him that they were uh, carried about on the mountains. And mountains are a a biblical symbol of large nations and hills of smaller nations. So this prophecy foretells of the long scattering of God's people among the Gentile worldwide and so thoroughly accomplished in the scattering that Israel and the church have forgotten God. And that's why I say he would have to turn us back unto him. Our children and the parents and everyone have to be turned back. It says, turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and sons to the father. We are nations. We are nations, not just a nation, but a group of nations that have forgotten and turned away from God. A lot of people talking about the Middle East and all these other nations, what Turkey and all of these places, a lot of these places in the Middle East, Syria, Christianity has been through all of those areas. Mm-hmm. We are turned away from God. God has been revealed in the earth and he is being revealed. That's why we preach and teach the gospel. Revelations 13, 17, and 18 establish that there are a beast and a Babylon at the end time. Though when we talk about beast, Abyss is literally a amalgamation of many nations with a strong persecuting religious component. In other words, it's a governmental system. And that's the problem we have now. is the governmental systems, and especially when they have a religious overtone or undertone to them. It could create false worship and it allows or opens the door for the Antichrist and the false prophets. That's the thing that we're seeing when religion unites politically with the government in this day and time. You can't bring about Christian nationalism from what we're doing. God has to bring about the kingdom of God and the judgments within that kingdom. Now, just as the term B shows the spirit of a group of violent, warlike, anti-God nations, the term Babylon reveals The source of the spirit of prideful rebellion motivating the woman who represents the end-time nation God calls Babylon. And I tell you, that's why we see a figure of a woman, a symbol of a woman. God talks about a woman here. And a lot of times in the Bible when it's talking about cities and churches and different things, they call it a woman. They give it the symbolism of a woman. And that's what Babylon has been given here. Uh, the great harlot Babylon, uh, who this is similar to God using Sodom and Egypt to illustrate in Jerusalem in Revela- to illustrate Jerusalem in Revelations eleven and eight. So He uses many of a- names to refer metaphorically or symbolically to some different things, and we have to take that symbol and interpret it. The interpretation comes from the priest, the preachers, and the teachers, and from God's word. God reveals it to us. That's why we have to study to show ourselves approved, because scripture doesn't contradict scripture, but we can't make up things how it happened. God has to come back and reveal it to us. That's the mystery of godliness, that the Spirit leads and guides us into all truth. We have to have his spirit, and the only way to do that is to be in Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the original city and nation of Babylon has disappeared, I tell you, into the sands of Iraq. So people are talking about Sodom Hussein was going to be Babylon Babylon, backing about Babylon. But that's not the Babylon. That Babylon, God said, would never rise again. It was doomed to ultimate destruction the moment Cyrus came in because of God's word. Yes. So it would never return. So I think a lot of preaching and teaching have us looking in the wrong places for the beast or looking for Babylon. Babylon is here and it's arisen worldwide. it's, it's completely covers the world. And that's one of the devil's deception is we don't see because he's deceived the whole world. Revelation 17 and 18 describes the end-time Babylon, the great harlot, not as simply a religious organization, not even a system, but as a literal city and nation involved in massive worldwide craftsmanship, manufacturing, entertainment, and commerce. Babylon holds all of those positions, the end-time Babylon. That's why I said we have to see the Babylon that Babylon is worldwide and applies in all categories and places and things we hadn't even considered it being in. It is a blockbuster political economic powerhouse exercising global influence over which businessmen weep because this is what's running the nation. This is what's running the system. This is their life's blood. This is this is part taken away from them. And that's why I say he says, God says, love not the world or the things of the world. And if you doing the opposite, if, if you in obedience to in disobedience to God, it's hurtful for all of these things to be occurring and for the things that's coming up on the world, that these things literally they have a vested interest in these things coming apart. That's why they're so amazed and astonished at that. Yes. <sighs> Babylon as a woman, and I tell you, mm-hmm. that picture of a woman is throughout the Bible, things of a woman. Proverbs talk about the strange woman, and an adulterous woman. Proverbs six twenty through 21 says, my son. Be guided by your father's God-given commandment or uh, his instruction, your father's laws, and do not reject, and reject the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually around your neck, uh, upon your heart, in your thoughts, in other words, and tie them around your neck. Now, these two sections in, in, in Proverbs begins a long section of instruction regarding adultery and holitry. Now we're not talking about with the body. That's why it says your heart. So we're talking about your mind or your inner being, which would constitute your spiritual man. So we're looking at spiritual adultery, Mm -hmm. spiritual fornication. And this has to do with religion. That's why I was telling you about preaching at the church coming this Saturday, the funeral. And Where and what's going on? I'm apprehensive about that. I've been I've asked once or twice to be taken away from that, even though it's it's was a member. I don't feel comfortable being part of that. It's still to be seen what happens or what comes about. Um, The first warning is to protect one's heart, not one's body, from her, because the body follows the heart. So it's no way I could be comfortable within that church or within that building with the structure, the way it is, and with the spirits that's in there. It would bind my spirit. Uh, It may be something I'm still praying to God and asking him about this. Hopefully I was delivered away from it, but sometimes you have to go through things and stand for the Lord. But you know, it's like Paul. Paul and Marcus, Mark separated, didn't John Mark left him because Paul was in some dangerous situations and he had to say some things to rub some people the wrong way and some things people, once they get comfortable, once Satan is comfortable, they don't want you coming in and talking about Jezebel and Balaam and different types of doctrine or whatever. And so I, I was to preach the eulogy or whatever, and that's to speak well of, but I'm still in a problem where this seems to be maybe a situation that it was it's not a proper New Testament church, and by me preaching or being there, it, I hopefully I, I'll get an answer from God and he'll maybe change that or do something for that for me because I'm thoroughly not comfortable with this. Since Babylon the Great Horror is our spiritual temptation, this is a veiled admonition to steer clear of Babylon. In other words, don't get close to those situations. Don't think that you are stronger than the situation. You couldn't go in. It's best to avoid these situations. It's best to avoid Babylon. It's you kind of understand what. Elijah was going after, after he stood against the prophets of Baal, and Jezebel said that she was going to destroy him and take his life the next day or whatever. So it's something that I, uh, that God's people has to have to keep before Him, and that He would strengthen us and take us through these things. Uh, verse twenty-six reveals the predatory nature. She preys upon the precious. Lives of her victims like a, car pray, a cat preys upon birds. Satan, the father of Babylon and his ways, walks about like a roaring lion, Peter says. First Peter 5 and 8, that Satan goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And, and that's what the strange woman in Proverbs is about. That's what the lascivious of the lewd woman of spiritual adulteress is about in the book of proverbs and well-known solomon knows he's had 700 wives and 300 concubines or whatever so he's seen these things and knows these things it's a lot of men that counsel or try to talk to their children about marriage and wives and different things with women but it's difficult in this day and time because it's a spiritual element that the flesh loves. And that's the control in the latter days that we're seeing that women possess over men. Proverbs 6, 7, chapter 6, verse to the ninth chapter, we see where God has to be the one here because he's the one that's going to bring her to shame, could cause her to bear her. Open thighs, he says. Open your thighs, bare the legs. Sit down in utter humiliation. Expose the breath, breast. Your nakedness will be shown because of all of the things that she's done and the way she's lived, and how many a good man she've taken to death have faced death at her hands. It says, "For at the window of my house, I looked out from through my lattice among the naive." the inexperienced and gullible, and I saw the youth, a young man lacking good sense, passing through the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house, and in the twilight and in the evening, in the black and dark night. He describes this young man as a simple in the bad sense of the word. Simple, when somebody says that you're simple. As a bad way, it doesn't mean just common or down the earth. It could mean lack of common sense, lack of good sense, and that's what this individual did. The word is, in other words, he's foolish. He's inconsiderate and unthinking. He is open to all impressions of evil. He lounges near the house of ill repute, and not necessarily because he plans to sin, but does not see, uh, does not seem all that opposed to it either. You know, you, you're not avidly against this. Not, not that you're going along with it, but you're putting yourself in close proximity of it to where you could get burned. You can't take fire in your bosom and not get burned. Amen. You're putting yourself in a position to be tempted or taken away. And he may should have done as Joseph, flee from sin, flee from sexual immorality, flee from these things. He's hanging out out at certain time and place, open to whatever might happen, with no definite plans, just waiting to see how it goes. It says he lacks the understanding to discern the evil that is present, as well as the wisdom and courage to resist the flatteries and temptations of the seductress. In contrast, though, unstated, the pure in heart, those who understand the dangers would be at home occupied with things that are more wholesome. And so in dealing with this, it's not about pleasures of the times of the pleasures of the flesh or anything, but it's something to be shun. And, I, you know, I feel sorry for a lot of men that have been trapped in that those situations through marriage, through in laws, or through different things, and they're too weak to fight now. It's too abundantly; it's overtaken them, and they're to the point where they can't get out of it. They can't receive rest or whatever. And this goes way back the the problem of the consequences are just now manifesting themselves, but. This goes way back from playing with sin, a previous pattern of playing with sin. Ultimately, sin, fornication, or adultery usually it ends in adult death. It says, like the bull, like the bull or the cow to the slaughter. You walk right on in, and it's a death wish because you've seen this and you thought that you could overcome it and handle it, but. Sin is not like that. We can't hound sin. We have to rebuke sin. We have to stay away from sin. We have to flee from sin. In applying this to ourselves and our efforts to forsake Babylon and steer clear of false doctrines and teachers, we can see that our individual application of verse 1 through 5, keeping God's commandments and making wise decisions, will help determine whether are not we are foolish and lacking judgment if we highly esteem God's instructions in the letter and the spirit of the law and if we fear God and keep his commandments we will have the wisdom and understanding that the, this young man Lot lacks a common saying uh says if you fail to plan that means you plan to fail and that's why I'm not I'm trying to to plan here and not fail to plan, but this is something, and, and so I, I said I would talk to her tomorrow to see can I get away from this situation or whatever because I think it's it, it's not right what I should do. It it's just not sitting right in my spirit. It seems like I'm going right into the heart of Babylon and. Mm-hmm part of a a situation that's controlled by Babylon, that's controlled by the wickedness of this world, you know, and thank God, you know, but your children, your grandchildren and people, that's a part of that. You see these things happening and you pray to God that he would deliver you from these things and strengthen you to give you, to come out of Babylon, but sometime it takes these confrontations and these situations to bring light the problem so that these people will or do rise up against you, and then God destroys these people, even though it may cost you your life. It cost Nabal his life. Nabal, he was doing what God told him to keep his vineyard, but Jezebel put him to death. Jezebel had him put to death, so... We see that spirit of Jezebel in the book of Revelation. That spirit hadn't went anywhere in the Jezebels of this day. Don't you underestimate the power of the Jezebels of this day. Uh, This young man may not have intended to get into trouble. He may not have planned to do anything wrong. But his approach is not aligned with 1 Corinthians 6 and 18 says, flee fornication. Flee fornication, Paul says. Turn around and run the other way. The young man's approach is not one of foreseeing the dangers and avoiding avoiding them, according to scriptures. And I think the whole time Sarah today I would be preaching, I would be thinking of Proverbs twenty-two and three, of twenty-seven and twelve, where it says, "A prudent and foresighted person sees evil or sees the evil in sin and hides himself." from it, but the naive continue on and are punished by suffering the consequences of sin. Uh, Proverbs 27 and 12 says, A sensible man watches for problems ahead and prepares to meet them. The simple to never looks and suffers the consequences. It's the living Bible. In the same way, if our approach is not one of striving to keep ourselves unspotted from the world and avoiding false teachers and doctrines in essence we're planning to fail and that's what i said it's false teaching and false doctrine that seems If i have to go in the mouth of the lion here in the lion's mouth wishing that you know we were in a condition to have service that particular service here we may not be large enough uh It may not, you know, I didn't really go out to wait off of that, but they could have had it at the chapel or something. But I hate to go into enemy territory if I don't have to. But I pray that God be with me and strengthen me. Uh, In the book of Lamentations, the first chapter, first to the seventh verse, we see the sorrows of Zion. They were carried away captive. They're pictured as a woman. Here uh, it symbolizes a woman. It symbolizes a city, a nation, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, really, carried into captivity in a place that they didn't want to be in, in a place serving. And it's not really depicting the church, but we look at it as a type and a time in which these things can't come about and that we are getting trapped in Babylon. And we find ourselves... That's why I say geographically, we're members of the church, members of God's kingdom. But we find ourselves behind enemy lines. We find ourselves that the kingdom of God is within us and among us, but we find ourselves given over uh, within the evil. And he says, keep them in the world, but keep them from the evil that's in the world. So we are in a predicament here. Let me pause this just a second. But as we do it, that's why it says, "Be aware, be, you know, be diligent and be woke, or whatever." Because these situations come about, and I must um, handle the situation however I can deal with this. Uh, where I'm at here, Hold on, just a second. But I was telling you about the sorrows of Israel when they turn and they realized that they were in Babylon, some of them pined and wanted to go home, but some of them was comfortable there because Babylon is a great nation, it's a wealthy nation, it has a lot of alluring attractions to Babylon, and that's why we have to be told consistently love not the world or the things of the world because it's easy to get comfortable with the things of the world. It's easy to be carried away by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. But all of those three things is what Babylon promotes and what Babylon instills in us and that we're trying to, through the word of God, purge those things out of us. Uh, Revelation 17 and 18 says, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. The mention of the kings doing obeisance to her indicates her political influence is worldwide, and she can perceive, be perceived as the source of an attempt to produce a world government. And so, we're seeing now that the the church, the Catholic Church, does have a lot of power. So, if that's part of the largest part of the Babylonian system, because there's what two or three billion Catholics in the world, if that's part of the Babylonian system, then the Protestant churches would have to be the daughters that's spoken of in the book of Revelations, the children of Jezebel that will be cast in the bed with Jezebel because all of these derive from the Catholic church. And a lot of their false doctrine and a lot of their teaching has that, Babylon, audacity to it, and that's one of the reasons he's destroying them because of their pride, their hubris, the audacity. And we, I see that in this nation. I see it in people, and television, and sports, and all throughout the, the the things that I see in the world are coming in contact with. Uh, Jeremiah fifty-one six and seven says, "Flee out of the midst of Babylon." And deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. Babylon had been a golden cup in the Lord's hand. That made all the earth drunken. and The nations have drunken of her wine. Therefore the nations are mad. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. How for her? Take balm for her pain. If so be she be healed, we would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go, every one, into his own country, for her judgment reacheth unto the heavens and is lifted up even to the skies. Let me read that in the Amplified. It says, "The Lord had brought forth our righteousness. Come and let us declare and Zion the work of the Lord our God. Babylon has suddenly fallen and is shattered." Well, for her, if you care to get bombed for inc- her incurable pain, perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she was not to be healed. The Lord has brought about our vindication and has revealed the righteousness of our cause. In other words, it's God's that's bringing about this destruction and this calamity that's coming up on Babylon, why would we try to heal them? Do we really think that they would be healed? As he told Jeremiah, pray not for this people. Don't pray for their good. That's part of what Jeremiah is seeing in this judgment. So out of this mouth, Jeremiah, you speaking that God's condemning that he's not going to heal these people, that this is a ultimate destruction. But yet, still, do we offer prayer? Is our prayer contradictory? Is it a faithless prayer? Is it a paradoxical case of us believing God's going to do this, but He's not going to do that, or that these things will occur? It causes consternation on some people's part that are we double minded or are we being instructed correctly? And that's what Babylon does. It gives you bad instruction. So, if you read that 51st chapter of Jeremiah, and I would start at the first verse and read down to the 15th verse, but we see where God's hammer, as God's hammer Babylon was strong, as his cup of gold, she was rich and beautiful, but neither saves her from destruction. So, as strong as this nation, as strong as the nations of the world is, they were as a hammer to build, but God, through His people, is tearing Babylon down, will tear Babylon down because her doctrine, her spirit, everything that Babylon promotes, is the wine of the cup of God's wrath, and everybody's drinking of that cup, drinking of the cup was to die death. you partake of what's in the cup. So if you've drunken of the wine of Babylon, in other words, their doctrine, their instructions, all of the things of Babylon, you've partaken of that, and it has weakened you. you staggering and drunken with the wine of her fornication. But see, we have to come out of Babylon and stand against these things and be the resistance to it No matter whether we have to stand alone or not, that was Elijah's problem. He felt that he was the only one serving God, but God had told him to stand there, to stand. So he had to stand against the things of Babylon and the objects of of Babylon. And probably as a poor, lonely old man there, Elijah felt it was time for him to go. And we see where Elijah was replaced with a younger Elisha during this time. He was replaced to Elisha, and Elisha carried out the job that Elijah didn't finish. Amen. Elijah was the one, Elisha, the one that received the double portion of God's spirit. He's the one that came in and anointed the two, the two different people that he was going God was good use uh, Haziel. I think it was that He anointed king, and He said some things that Haziel that He was to do. And Haziel said, "I'm a flea. Am I a dog to do these things?" But what He prophesied that Haziel was truthful, and Haziel did kill the king and carried out these arterial things. That his arterial motive was power and pride and prestige. It would also Elijah who anointed Jehu to carry out God's wishes on Ahab and Jezebel because Ahab was more wicked than Jeroboam in a way because he succumbed to his wife. He succumbed to Jezebel and her wickedness where she killed Nabal using using Ahab's signet ring and making false accusations against Nabal, but not only Nabal, but his sons and all of that, she have to, had to destroy all of those to take possession of that vineyard, something material in life. So uh, our wives and sons and daughters leaving off the reservation God has us on to do the wickedness, to gain the world or whatever. And are we willing to stand up against them, to stand up against all these things for God? That's what Babylon has, those allurements and seduction. Babylon possesses those things. So we'll try to finish this again, maybe Sunday and Wednesday.